Thank you and good morning. Good morning. Uh, delighted to see you here. Appreciate your coming. I also want to thank Father Chris for inviting me to talk on a subject that I just find amazingly fascinating lately. I've been spending a lot of time on it. Um, I love the technical aspects of it and the way it challenges our uh, accepted knowledge these days. And I find it also, the subject that I'm going to talk about here, to be really critical to the Christian faith. So what I want to do is um, take you through it today and next week. Um, and the subject is, is Genesis history? Could the Bible possibly be true from the beginning to the end? So could there possibly have been a real Adam and Eve? And a real Noah? A real global flood? Could God have created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh? Um, these are uh, strange ideas, perhaps, to, uh, to most people. Uh, let's go to the first slide. Just to be clear what I'm going to discuss here today, here is what I call biblical creation, creation according to the Bible. So the earth and the entire universe are young, created less than 10,000 years ago. All human beings descended from Adam and Eve, uh, and God created animal kinds, not species. Uh, clear DNA evidence showing that all cats um, are strongly related. So we created the cat kind, the dog kind, the horse kind, the whale kind, with ability of each kind uh, to rewrite its own DNA in ways to become species. And according to the Bible, a global flood that killed all land life, not on the ark. So, next slide, Father uh, Josh, please. So some dates, uh, I like dates. Uh, this is from uh, Septuagint, uh, the earliest known compilation of the Old Testament, which is not the Old Testament version you have in your Bible. But we don't have time to discuss that. These are the uh, likely dates. Uh, Adam and Eve created 7,500 years ago. Uh, a global flood 5,300 years ago and moved down to Abraham. Uh, perhaps 2166 BC. Um, so this is crazy stuff, right? Uh, almost all of our schools and universities teach exactly the opposite. Uh, you know, um, I think a public school teacher gave the presentation I gave, I'm going to give you today. She'd probably get fired. The uh, uh, Bill Furr, I don't know if you're here today, but you sent me a, uh, a link to a speech by William Lane Craig, noted defender of the Christian faith, in which he concedes of, or, you know, he agrees with the criticism that Genesis is just myth, but you can go to the New Testament and that's reliable. Well, the church has given in, I think, to, um, in the most part, to these attacks on Genesis. Um, and I, I'm going to submit that these attacks on Genesis and this nonsense of Darwinian evolution, which I'm just going to spend a few minutes on later in my talk, are acids that eat <coughs> our Christian faith. They eat at our society. They turn people away. 
Uh, the key reason that you're, if you have kids or grandkids or friends that won't go to church, I suspect the key reason is they think this is all nonsense. The Bible's nonsense. That we're some sort of you know crazy cult here, uh, just, you know against science, which I'm going to talk about. Um, and some of this stuff is pretty, uh, again, very different. Um, I'll confess, I used to be an atheist. And this part of the reason that convinced me that the Bible couldn't be true at the time was this stuff about a global flood that covered the highest mountains. Um, and could people have lived almost a thousand years? We're going to talk about these subjects. But uh, I was a pretty angry and nasty atheist throughout college, and uh, I would, I'm a technical uh, nerd by nature. I went to MIT, double majored in math and physics, graduated early, uh, studied theoretical math for three years, took a wrong turn, became a lawyer, but that's <laughs> not going there, folks. <laughs> uh, so, um, when my son was born in my early 30s, my wife uh, said, you ought to get him baptized. And I thought about that for about 10 seconds, and I, I said, yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't worth the fight, right? <laughs> so, uh, so we went to church, and much to my surprise, uh, I found that the people there had something that I really wanted. I mean, they had an inner peace. Um, they just had something that I knew at the time. Don't ask me how I knew this. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit gave me this insight that those people had something that I knew I was never going to get through financial success, professional success, and the like. And, you know, I was doing pretty well as a young lawyer, but um, I wanted it. And so we started going to church. And uh, we met some wonderful people, and I kept going to church. But I told myself, because uh, I can be a stubborn guy, that I wasn't going to really believe in God, this God stuff, unless I could find some scientific evidence for the existence of God. So I started reading technical books. I like to read technical books. I read a lot. I taught myself uh, uh, you know, molecular biology, I taught myself, uh, read books on physics, cosmology, and so on, and began to see design everywhere. I mean, our society has its eyes closed to design. And so I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's head of physics at MIT, and I said, you know, somebody ought to write a book about all this science stuff, because it's really contrary to what you read. <coughs> Uh, the newspapers, and he said, well, maybe that somebody could be you. And I thought, oh, come on, God. You know, really, I got nothing going on. But uh, in 2014, I published my book, Counting God. Uh, there's copies there if you want it. I believe this book, um, frankly, proves the existence of God from a scientific point of view. I count through seven uh, areas of science in the book. Um, and that came out in 2014. Uh, I gave a few talks on it, and a, um, a local doctor invited me to lunch. Ferd Becker, maybe some of you know, great guy, now retired in uh, New Orleans. And he said to me, 
know, he, he praised me for my uh, talk, but then he said to me, when do you start believing the Bible? Okay, so his point is, well, if you're going to say that the New Testament is true, and it is four amazing eyewitness accounts of the life and death of Jesus, if you take that as true and you're a Christian, then where's the line? I mean, what about King David a thousand years before? Is he some sort of mythological figure, or is he a real person? Uh, what if you go back uh, maybe 800 years more to Moses and the, you know, the exodus out of Egypt? Um, what about to Abraham, to Noah, to Adam and Eve? Where's the line? What's, um, when do you start believing the Bible? And I couldn't answer that question. I don't think they're, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tenable position. So I started to, again, read more technical books and discovered amazingly. Once I opened my eyes to the evidence for creation, I was overwhelmed. And that's what I'm going to try to very briefly present to you in these two 45-minute sessions. And we're going to go through a lot of technical stuff, so I hope you'll bear with me on it. Um, so when do you start believing the Bible? Okay. Uh, so when you're interpreting a book, the first thing you do is you try to figure out what's the intent of the writer. So is Genesis intended to be myth or is it intended to be fact? Well, here's a sentence um, from the Old Testament. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of that month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heaven were opened. Well, that sure doesn't sound like once upon a time <laughs> there was a princess on a hill sort of language, right? I mean, it's hard to imagine the author of that sentence uh, trying to be more specific to pin down this event to a specific day. Uh, the fountains of the great deep, I believe, were the volcanoes. Did you know that frequently most of what comes out of the volcano is water? Uh, the wind and the start of the rain. Um, so, and people have done studies on Genesis um, will tell you that the Hebrew words used in the book of Genesis are very factual type words, very factual type uh, verbs and so on, sentence structure. It's not like uh, Psalms or Proverbs, which tend to be more poetic. Uh, okay, now we come to the number one reason a Christian should believe that Genesis is history. And that is Jesus did so here is from Luke's Gospel. Jesus said to the disciples, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, it's pretty clear that <laughs> Jesus thinks he's talking about something real here, right? Um, and he's talking to first century Jews who could probably trace their lineage back to Adam. Uh, if you look at Luke's third chapter, he traces Jesus' lineage back all the way to Adam. If Adam was the, excuse me, I gotta get some water here. If Adam was the first generation, then Jesus is the 77th generation. So you've got and people who want to tell you that Genesis is myth have a real problem with this, this, uh, this 
part of the New Testament. Why would Jesus make this up? Okay, next slide, please. <laughs> yeah. um, we didn't get to the next slide, but... Um, oh, it's over here? All right, we've got different things. There we go. Um, the connections between the New and Old Testament are all over the Bible. Uh, someone told me there are 1,800 cross-references. They are very much linked. And if you read through the... Uh, throughout the New Testament, it refers to Adam and Eve and Noah. Uh, scoffers will come, this is Peter's second letter, deliberately overlook this fact the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water in the beginning of Genesis, uh, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Okay, so I think if you take Christianity as an integrated whole, uh, you've got to face the question of whether Genesis is uh, fact or myth. And then finally, the entire Christian, uh, what Father Chris called meta-narrative, um, which is God created the world, uh, there was a fall, Adam and Eve sinned, and God cursed the world. Uh, clearly a lot of evidence of the fall around our world today. Uh, then he sent Jesus to redeem us, to give us uh, and then there's going to be a second coming. Here's a sentence from uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be alive. Again, clear connections. New Testament, Old Testament. Okay, so why do people think the world is old? Let's go through the reasons and uh, talk about it. Well, first reason I think is um, everybody says so. Right? I mean, if you ask just something everybody knows, right? So if you ask what most college, why most college professors think the world is old, it's because they know all their colleagues do. Let's go to the next slide. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna tell you that consensus can be a bunch of uh, nonsense. Uh, and my clear example here is uh, Darwinian evolution. This nonsense theory, um, we've had it for over 150 years now that you can get technology by chance uh, it's mathematically impossible. I go through that in my book. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, the, you know, the most advanced technology in the world by far is in living creatures. Um, much more advanced than an app on your cell phone. How many of those were those by chance? Uh, you, you know, did you know the dolphins around here have sonar much better than anything the U.S. Navy has? Uh, did you know that uh, birds, fish, and even monarch butterflies navigate by the Earth's magnetic field? They have sensors in them that uh, monarch butterflies return to the tree in northern Mexico, some of them do, where their great-great-grandfathers were born four generations earlier. How did that evolve? Uh, I mean, it's amazing. Um, did you know that? And maybe you've heard of the James Webb Space Telescope. It's going to replace Hubble with these arrays of mirrors. Well, scallops have eyes with arrays of hundreds of mirrors. I mean, really, who knew scallops had eyes? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's shocking. But it's the technology, and then you have the most, tech, the most fantastic technology in the universe, uh, the human brain. You have as many brain cells as stars in our galaxies. Galaxy has many connections between them as stars in a thousand galaxies. Nobody has a clue how the brain really works. We know that the brain builds hundreds of millions of 
uh, structures just when you try to think and solve problems. Nobody has a clue how this technology works. It is so unbelievably advanced, yet people will assure you it arose by chance. Um, I, Darwinian evolution doesn't even pass the basic test for a scientific theory in that there's no experiment that can disprove it. Um, its predictions have been proven false. There are no intermediate forms between animals, transitional forms in the fossil record. And junk DNA, uh, people used to you know, say, well, there's a lot of junk in our DNA. Well, that was proven false in a study of 400 scientists in 2011. And not only is DNA not junk, but it has double layers of meaning. It's like you had a book, this really nice, complicated book, but if you took every third word, you'd get another book with a different story. That's just the beginning of the complexity of DNA. Species have the ability, this is proven, to rewrite their own DNA. So it's like you had a book that you know, knew that you needed a happy ending and rewrote its own ending to be happy. That's how complex DNA is. Uh, Darwinian evolution has never been observed. They've tried experiments, 70,000 generations of bacteria, and um, nothing happening except since they feed the bacteria and they don't need to swim anymore, the bacteria lost the ability to swim. So we have consensus can be wrong, is my point. You go to the next slide, please. Um, oh, here, this is an octopus supposedly evolved from uh, clams hundreds of millions of years ago. The octopus has three hearts, eight legs, and can taste through the suckers on its feet. The, people have found that the code for an octopus is so alien from any the code from any other creature that uh, this past year, 30 scientists got together and wrote a paper and said, uh, well, since the octopus obviously couldn't have evolved, that means that life came from outer space dropping <laughs> on the earth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, uh, people will do anything to deny God. Okay, next slide, please. So, um, people, they would say, uh, well, science disproves. Uh, science proves the Earth is old. So let's look at what is science and what's not science. Uh, science is figuring things out, okay? Uh, systemized knowledge, observation, study, and experiment. So I want you to try to distinguish, if you can, between... We use this word science uh, broadly, but there's experimental science, which is you have something right in front of you, you do an experiment, you measure, you observe, you study. And then there's interpretive science, where you see something and you try and interpret the best result in the past. So um, let's go to the next slide. Um, are we missing one here? Okay. Um, imagine a bathtub. Here's my, here's my situation for you. you. You walk into a room. You've never been in this room before. But you instantly measure that the bathtub has 20 gallons of water in it. And it's filling at two gallons a minute. Okay? So you walk into a room, you've never been there before, 20 gallons of water in the bathtub, two gallons a minute. So what's a possible answer? The question is, how long has the, bath, has the water been running? Ten minutes, right? Does science require ten minutes as an answer to that question? You might say yes, but let me think. Let me, let me challenge you on that. You just made three unproven assumptions to get to that answer. And this is going to be a key to my whole talk. 
problems, okay? You just made three unproven assumptions. First of all, you, you've never been in this room before. How did you know that when the water started running, the bathtub was empty? How did you know that? You don't know that, right? Um, uh, here we are. Uh, I got my slides out of order, thank you. Uh, you don't know that. Uh, how do you know that while the water was running, someone didn't come in and take water out of the bathtub or add water into the bathtub? You don't know that either. Uh, how do you know that the uh, speed of the water coming into the bathtub hasn't changed over time? <clears throat> so let's go back a slide, please. Um, so now we're going to talk about, I want you to keep that example in mind as we talk about one of the key things that is used to say that the world is old, and that is atomic dating, also known as radiometric dating, no connection to internet dating, okay? <laughs> uh, so in atomic dating, uh, you have one element changing slowly into another, and there are lots of ways to do this. One of them is uranium changes into lead over billions of years. Okay, so if you know, uh, and then we're gonna talk about carbon-14 uh, dating, which is basically something that exists, sort of evaporates. Uh, so in uranium to lead, you know the amount of the parent element here, uranium, you know the amount of the daughter element here, lead. You know the rate of decay. People try to come up with formulas. The mathematical formula is a little different, but conceptually it's exactly the same as the bathtub filling with water. So people who would tell you that certain rocks are billions of years old assumed that there wasn't any lead in the rocks to begin with. And God completed a create universe with lead, okay? Um, people, um, and there's strong evidence in other ways that the laws of physics have changed over time, particularly after the fall and after the flood. So you don't know that that bathtub's always been filled. Uh, atomic dating um, depends on certain assumptions. If you assume that there can't be a God, that you couldn't start it with some lead in the beginning, and you're gonna come up with a conclusion that con is contrary to the Bible. But if you are open to the Bible, these atomic dating uh, tests don't prove anything, except there's one that proves the Earth is young, so let's get into that. And, uh, by the way, there's, here's some, there are many mistakes. The rocks that came out of Mount St. Helen uh, are, uh, are dated at over 2.6 million years old. And that there's examples all around the world of things that people have seen formed. They send to labs and they get millions of years old on these. Okay, um, one back. Yeah, carbon-14, different sort of atomic dating. Um, so as we all know from our favorite high school course, chemistry, <laughs> carbon has, uh, an atom of carbon has six um, protons and six neutrons. Okay, it has an atomic weight of 12. But some of the carbon in the upper atmosphere gets zapped and gets an extra two neutrons in and it becomes carbon-14. Um, so, um, carbon-14 decays and it has a half-life of about 5,700 years. Um, now there's only one in a trillion uh, at most particles of carbon, atoms of carbon that that gets zapped in this way. It's pretty rare, it's one in a million, million. Um, but, uh, so when you 
You lose half of it after 6,000 years. Carbon-14 is not detectable after 100,000 years, generally much less than that, okay? Carbon-14 is in all fossils, diamonds, coal. Carbon-14 exists in what are called Precambrian rocks, the rocks that existed before the flood that are at uh, the lower level all around the Earth. All of this has carbon-14. So what do scientists say about this? Well, they ignore it. It doesn't fit their model of the world. Uh, they say, well, there must have been water contamination nonsense. This is found in the driest parts of the world, conditions everywhere. Um, uh, carbon-14, strong atomic dating evidence the world is young. Okay. Um, so, all right, so consensus, well, from Darwinian evolution shows that's nonsense. Uh, atomic dating actually leans more on the side of the world being young. Let's go to the fossil record. If I ask my nephew uh, why he thinks the world is old, and he says, well, the fossil record. Um, so, well, which is contrary to Genesis. I mean, if Adam and Eve are supposed to be in that garden of Eden at the top, are they supposed to be on top of millions of years of death? Uh, no, God created uh, death at the fall, according to the Bible. So, uh, fossil record, um, this picture of the fossil record is contrary <coughs> to the book of Genesis. But uh, how do you get a fossil? So some people, I mean, if, if, uh, if a deer dies in the forest, does it become a fossil? No. I mean, there were hundreds of millions of uh, buffaloes on the Great Plains over the last few centuries. I don't think they're going to find any buffalo fossils. Something dies in the open. It does not become a fossil, okay? The, to get a fossil, you have to have sudden burial, special conditions. Um, I mean, animals can fall into tar pits, um, but generally it requires a very sudden event. So here's a fossil of two dinosaurs duck locked in a death struggle. There are other fossils like this. There's fossils of uh, um, one fish eating another fish. There's fossils <coughs> of um, uh, a dinosaur giving birth. Mm. Clearly, uh, very quick and sudden immersion of uh, these creatures. The, um, there are fossil banks in the Midwest that not only have uh, large dinosaurs, they have five different kinds of, sh of sharks. The fossil evidence, and there are fossils all over the world on every continent, including Antarctica, to me, proves there was a global flood. There were tsunamis caused by volcanoes and earthquakes that far exceeded and that, that you know buried these animals um, and created all the fossils we see today. So I submit to you that the fossil record, uh, creatures everywhere, is strong evidence for a sudden, overwhelming global calamity, uh, the flood of Noah. <coughs> okay, um, next slide, please. So people say, well, you know, uh, well, that's all very nice, Doug, but uh, you're overlooking this little fact called dinosaurs. Uh, everybody knows dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. Uh, they were real animals. They're in the fossil record, and nobody's ever seen a dinosaur. So uh, let's get real here. Which I, what do you mean nobody's ever seen a dinosaur? 
They used to be called dragons. There are stories of dragons in cultures all over the world, American Indians, China, etc. Um, they're in the Roman records. India has the largest elephants as well as dragons. The Ethiopian dragons aren't as big as the Indian ones, but they're still 20 cubits long. Cubits about a foot and a half or more. Um, the distance from here to here. So, AD 78. Um, later on, uh, another Roman. Um, yeah, India's got huge dragons, uh, and they're everywhere. The marshes, the mountains, and, and there's not a single one without them. So, uh, Alexander's the Great's army fought a dragon. Marco Polo reports encountering dragons. Uh, let's go to the next, the next slide, please. So you say, well, where's more evidence? Here's a temple in Cambodia where they carved a picture of a stegosaurus on it. Um, all the other animals on this uh, temple are, quote, real, you know, living today. The stegosaurus clearly is not. Uh, now, one, if you look up this on the internet, you'll, you'll see nonsense, which people say, well, obviously that's just some sort of pig or whatever, and those are plants behind it. I mean, come on. Yeah, I've got to warn you, if, you, if you go to the internet, it's very hostile to God and these ideas, but uh, sure looks like a stegosaurus to me. Uh, go to the next, next slide, please. Uh, I don't know if you can see this. This is uh, on the tombstone of Bishop Bell, an Irish bishop who died in 1496. People have been walking on this tombstone for hundreds of years. You can see it's pretty much eroded. Okay, it's a picture of two dragons. The one on the left has an unusual tail with two sets of double spikes. I don't know if you can see that. It's pretty distinctive, right? About 20, 30 years ago, they first found this dinosaur. Okay, this was a real uh, dinosaur. The um, just one moment, we're making a transition here. So, there are dinosaurs on, uh, on caves. There's dinosaurs, uh, petrograph, I guess it's called, carved by the American Indians in, uh, uh, on stone. And there are, uh, there are dinosaurs in the Bible, clearly. The book of Job, perhaps the oldest book in the Bible, perhaps written about 2000 BC, as Tales of two dinosaurs. Um, we go to the next slide. Uh, here's from the book of Job. Uh, Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you, creation, okay? He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins. Uh, and going down to verse 17, he makes his tail stiff like a cedar. Cedar trees in the Middle East are 30 feet tall. People say, well, this is talking about an elephant. No, elephants don't have a straight tail 30 feet long. Uh, the sinews of his thighs are linked together, bones like tubes of bronze, limbs like bars of iron. Um, according to the way the original Hebrew is written, people say when God is telling this to Job, Job is probably looking at the dinosaur. Like, there it is, Job. Next slide, please. Okay, so. I used to call this kind of animal uh, dinosaur, brontosaurus, now they have all kinds of new names. This, uh, these creatures uh, were over, some of them over 100 feet long. 
the second chapter, second to last chapter of the book of Job talks about a, um, uh, it's all about a dinosaur, a fire-breathing uh, sea dragon with interlocking armored plates, they call it Leviathan. Um, you say, well, you couldn't have anything that breathes fire. Well, there's a beetle that shoots toxic things, like a machine gun. This is a beetle, so I think God could have built it in a dinosaur. Um, next slide, please. Oh, so I love this. This is blood cells from a Tyrannosaurus rex. This stunning discovery, all fossils all over the world, is that they have original material. Dinosaur soft tissue, blood cells, collagen, and so forth, DNA, um, that, and you can see, I mean, it's pliable. I was at the, uh, the Institute for Creation Research in Dallas this spring, and they had a fossil on the wall, and I touched it, and I could feel it was soft. And I felt in a little way, you know, like Doubting Thomas, who's hand in the side of Jesus. Um, there's something about touching something that's, uh, that just kind of makes you remember it, you know? I mean, this, this stuff wasn't fossilized 65 million years ago. All uh, dinosaur soft tissue has been found all over the world. Again, if you read on the internet, um, I guess some grad students say, well, you know, if we put these chicken livers in some iron for two years and they didn't deteriorate, so that proves that uh, you can, stuff can exist for millions of years without deteriorating. I mean, first of all, iron changes chemically um, the materials and these fossils have no iron signature in them. Uh, so dinosaur soft tissue is a, uh, overwhelming support for the truth of Genesis. Okay, let's go to the next slide, please. Geology, well, people will tell you that the geological record supports an old earth. Now let's look at the, the geology. Here's, um, here's the uh, Grand Canyon. Uh, I got a chance actually to hike across it in uh, 2010 with two of my kids. Now you see the, le the layers there? Um, maybe uh, there's better pictures, but um, these layers, take a close look at them. Supposedly these layers were laid down over hundreds or tens of millions of years, right? And I used to believe that, but take a close look at them. Do you see millions of years of erosion in those layers? They're straight. Uh, they were laid down. I submit to you, in different stages of Noah's flood. They were formed within months of each other. There is no sign of erosion in these layers. I mean, if something's, if there's a million, in some of these layers, I mean, there's like straight lines between them, very straight. No sign of erosion. How could that be if uh, there was 10 million years between one layer and another layer? Is it possible? Um, some of these layers, um, yeah, go on to the, to the uh, St. Peter sandstone. Uh, here's a layer of, of beach sand that geologically goes from New England to California. So how did that happen uh, accidentally? This is consistent with a, uh, again, tsunami destroying um, things, Gen putting sand all that way. Some of, I mean, some of these layers that you find in the Grand Canyon, uh, 
I mean, they cover millions of square miles. Um, also a fact, which I didn't realize, is that you know, the idea that some river gradually cut it, the middle part of the Grand Canyon, the top uh, level, is a couple thousand feet higher than the sides. So you wouldn't have naturally formed a river through it. Um, let's go to the next slide, please. This is a canyon that was formed in one day from Mount St. Helens eruption. Uh, this is, uh, and this was observed, just a few hours, a slide of uh, water and rock <coughs> carved this out. Uh, if I can put you down in that today, you'd think you were in the Grand Canyon. Uh, it has lines of uh, <coughs> geological lines. It, um, a lot of water can be powerful and uh, it's, if you, uh, I've put on the table books, um, excuse me, magazines uh, from the Institute for Creation Research. Uh, if you're gonna read it, please take one. Uh, and they talk about the evidence that uh, this flood came off from Noah's Rudd. Noah's flood um, must have hit some break in the in the structure of the earth and carved the Grand Canyon. <clears throat> there are a lot of other uh, there is a lot of other geological evidence that the earth is young. Uh, look at these curved rocks. I mean, they're not shattered by being curved. They were laid down by sediments. The earth buckled and then they solidified in a curve. <coughs> That wouldn't happen if, uh, if they were millions of years apart. They would have cracked. Uh, next slide, please. There's so much geological evidence. Uh, there was a lot of salt nutrients in the oceans from uh, the flood and all the uh, shakeup of the mountains. By the way, the, um, the evidence is that the continental plates were moving and hitting each other like freight trains. <coughs> if you can believe that. I mean, that's how you get the Rocky Mountains, the Himalayas, the Alps. Um, which didn't exist before the flood because the earth went pretty crazy. Um, but the salt in the ocean um, proves that the ocean can't be uh, more than 62 million years old by anybody's standards. It can't be billions of years old. Um, just uh, so you say, well, where did the water from Noah's flood go? Well, it's in the oceans. If the earth were a smooth round ball, the oceans would cover the earth to an average depth of 1.7 miles. There's a lot of water there, okay? Uh, river deltas indicate a young earth. They're not, they, they haven't been around for, uh, for tens of millions of years. Uh, the sediment on the sea floor dates the age of the earth at a maximum of 12 million years. Uh, erosion at waterfalls, Niagara Falls, that hasn't been around for millions of years. There are water gaps in mountain ranges where it looks like the water just blasted through the mountains. That wasn't formed by any gradual process. Um, and also the river valleys are too big for the streams they contain, if you look at it realistically. Uh, you know, the Shenandoah River Valley, I mean, it's huge. Some little stream cutting through it supposedly cut that out. This broad valley, no. Um, I submit to you that uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. All right, so um, let's move on. I'm going to start this subject. I don't know if I'll finish it. We're running a little low on time. And I, 
just to give you a heads up of uh, what we're going to talk about next week, uh, we're going to talk about the memories of the flood worldwide. Um, we're going to hit directly on this long lifespan for people who have lived a thousand years. We're going to talk about DNA testing of humans worldwide, and we're going to talk about um, really good science stuff, magnetic fields, uh, and uh, the solar system, and uh, star galaxies. But let's uh, see if we can finish up with an ice age. So everybody agrees that there was at least one ice age, okay? The, um, and for example, much of North America was covered by ice two miles deep. Um, so no secular theory without God can actually explain that, believe it or not. There's this astronomical theory that, well, there were some slight perturbations in Earth's orbit. They found some uh, variations in the chemicals in uh, layers of ice. They said, well, this matches up to very slight changes in the Earth's orbit, and that's how you get an ice age. So one scientist mocked that saying, it's like saying I'm walking with a, with a couple ice cubes into a room with a heater, and suddenly the whole room uh, freezes over. Um, and, and then they figured out that they redated those cycles and they don't match the original astronomical <laughs> cycles, so it's all nonsense. Um, but there's even a more basic problem, which is if the Earth were to suddenly get cold, you would not get anywhere near two miles of ice. Evaporation would stop, right? Things would get cold. It would stop snowing after a while. There would be no more moisture in the atmosphere. And that's going to happen a lot before two miles of ice. You need very special circumstances to get two miles of ice. You need uh, the silt from the volcanoes of Noah's flood blocking out the sunlight all over the Earth. And you need warm oceans. And you need this happening for hundreds of years to get two miles of ice. So the ice age uh, probably was three or five hundred years after the flood, um, caused by the volcanic activity during and after the flood. Maybe you've heard the phrase nuclear winter. Uh, if there was to be an atomic war, the, um, the whole Earth would freeze over because of particles in the atmosphere. Well, this is. Um, what happened at the flood. The oceans, water holds heat for a long time. If you have miles of hot water caused by the, the, um, the heat of the volcanoes heating it up, you are going to get hundreds of years of uh, the ocean being warm, the, um, and the evaporation just continuing and continuing and continuing. Um, you, you've probably heard about mammoths, um, you know, coming out of the ice in Siberia. Well, the mammoths lived in Siberia because actually the climate in Siberia during the Ice Age was much warmer than it is now because the Arctic Ocean was not frozen over. And if you look at the climate models, um, Siberia was largely grassland. Uh, mammoths are a version of elephants that adapted to colder weathers programmed by God. And when the water froze over in the Arctic Ocean, the world climate changed drastically, and uh, suddenly all these mammoths froze. Uh, apparently, the models predicted a huge sandstorm as, the, as things dried up and got colder, and they, today they find ma mammoths buried in piles of frozen sand. So, 
I think we're going to stop here again. I hope you'll come back if I haven't scared you off <laughs> uh, for next week. We're going to uh, hit some, uh, again, very exciting stuff on uh, uh, how could people have lived this long again, DNA and uh, some of the physical evidence. Uh, today, I actually wanted to rebut a lot of the, uh, the claims that prove the Earth is old. And next week, I'm even going to go more on the offensive and show you evidence that proves it's young. So, uh, and hopefully next week, I'll have time to answer questions. I apologize. I don't have time this week. So, thank you very much. Thank you.